0: Please turn with me to the book of Jonah. Tonight we are going over Jonah chapter 3 verses 1 to 5. I pray thus far as we've been working our way through this book that it has given us Perhaps a greater understanding of what this book is about. And, and it's, it's so much more than, than uh, a man being swallowed by a fish. Um, there are tremendous lessons to be learned in this small book. It's only four chapters. But there are some profound things in here that I pray that we have seen thus far. And tonight is going to be another Instance in which the word of God is going to come forth and shine within our hearts to give us a greater understanding of the God whom we serve. We sometimes take for granted, I think, the saying that we hear that I'm sure that we've heard that our God is a God of second chances. And sometimes that can be said in, in a maybe in a reverent way and not really taking into account uh, exactly what is being meant by that statement, but there is that truth in that statement as well, that our God is a God of second chances. Our God is a God who restores. Our God is, is one who brings us back into fellowship even after we have sinned so greatly against him. And if we understand it in that kind of a way, then when we talk about God being a God of second chances, which is really more like third chances, fourth chances, infinity chances, that's usually how it ends up being, uh, then we, we grow to appreciate it even more so. We see in our passage tonight that this is exactly what's, what's happening in the life of Jonah. Keep in mind, what this man has done thus far, he is a prophet of the Lord. He's one that, as as one theologian had had kind of put it in this context, he's he's a prophet who wants to minister to his own people. Uh, he he doesn't want to go anywhere else. There's there's a mission field here. Why do I need to go anywhere else? So he's he's like a, a new seminary student. He's graduated. He wants to minister where he's at, and the Lord says. I want you to go to this foreign land over here. Well, I don't want to go there. I want to stay here. Well, you're going to go there. I'm not going there. Instead, you can have back your calling on my life. And I'm going to go the other way. And you think about this, as we've talked about before, that this is a very special instance in, 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 with what is happening here. Because Jonah being a prophet... Jonah is most likely, as the prophets did, receiving direct revelation from the Lord. This isn't like it is today when which we have a complete scripture, a complete canon in front of us that we can see the entirety of God's revelation. This is a time in which revelation is given at certain times and he does it through prophets. Jonah, being one who is receiving direct revelation from the Lord... The Lord speaks to him. This is what you're to do. This is what you're to say. All of this. And Jonah. I mean, because we think of this. And we think, wow. That that would be an astonishing gift uh, to have that kind of a dialogue with the Lord. And here Jonah has received that. And Jonah is basically looking at the Lord and saying, nope. I don't think they deserve it. There are enemies. I don't know why you want me to go there, which actually he does kind of know why is what we're leaning into there, especially in chapter four. You're a God of grace and you're a God of mercy. He basically says in chapter four, after the people repent, I knew this was going to happen, which is why I didn't want to go there. But you think of the arrogance of this man to basically say to the Lord, I don't think you're right in this, so I'm not going to do it. Have back your gift. And I'm going to go the other way. And you've seen within the first chapter how Jonah was unrepentant of what he was doing. He wasn't struggling inside. He wasn't guilted as as what so often happens of the Spirit of God causing that that conviction, that sorrow unto life. He's asleep in the hold of the ship. He's fine. Even when he tells the sailors to throw him overboard, he's still unrepentant. It's not until the Lord has prepared a fish, whether it's a fish, whether it's a whale. We talked about that. We talked about, uh, as James Montgomery Boyce had talked about, uh, the sperm whale. How massive those creatures are and that they are common to the Mediterranean Sea. And their mouth being about 9 feet wide, 15 feet high, about 20 feet long. And uh, the instance in which James Montgomery Boyce had talked about within his commentary of in the late 1800s and 1890s of how a man, uh, along with some of his, his buddies, were, were whaling. They had harpooned the, the whale. And as the other boat was coming in, it got destroyed by the sperm whale. One went overboard, don't know what happened to him, or the one actually drowned. The other went overboard, they didn't know what happened to him. Ended up when they finally killed it, and they were taking off the blubber and all of this, they finally pulled up the stomach, and the man was in the stomach, unconscious, but he was able to regain consciousness and all of that. So, could have been a sperm whale, something like that. Uh, It's happened, and we know that God can uh, absolutely preserve Jonah in the stomach of one of these massive creatures. And it's then when Jonah is without all hope. I mean, what's he going to do? He's in the belly of this animal. In the depths of the sea. How are you going to get loose from that? What, you, what can you do? You can't reason with the whale. You just have to think to yourself, this is it. This is the end. And the way that Jonah speaks in chapter 2, which is, really, which is really like a psalm when you read it. The way that Jonah speaks is basically he has no other hope. This is it. He's crying out from the depth of Sheol, as he says, you heard my voice. So it's then that he becomes repentant. And understands the need that he has himself for God's grace. <clears throat> and then, of course, the Lord has the the fish to vomit him up on the dry land, all of that. But you see all the things that have happened thus far. The unrepentant heart of Jonah, the arrogance of Jonah, the the the, the straight-up rebellion of Jonah. But even in light of that, in light of what he has done, what he has said, I mean, looking into the quote-unquote face of the Lord and saying, no. And yet, in our passage tonight, you see the restoration of Jonah. That in light of everything that he had done, the Lord did not say, you're done. If Jonah had been living in our day, we would have made that call for him. We would have said to Jonah. You're done. Done. You're finished. But a great lesson that we learn here is that's. It's not how our Lord operates. Because the grace of God is so much greater than our sin. Where sin abound. Grace did much more abound. And this is true here in the life of Jonah the Lord is going to restore him back not only to fellowship with himself, but also restoring him back to his specific responsibilities that God had called him to. So I pray that this will be a great encouragement to our hearts as we work our way through this passage tonight. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> this is the inspired, inerrant Authoritative, infallible words of the living God. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Let us give our attention to the scripture. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. A three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Let's pray together. Holy Father, thank you for this portion of your word. Thank you for what it teaches us of your gracious nature uh, towards us who are prone to wander. O Lord, comfort our hearts and let us again fix our eyes upon you, the faithful one, uh, who never leaves us, who never forsakes us, but you are always faithful. O Father, do a mighty work within us on account of this passage. Bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. After Jonah is is vomited up by this fish on the dry land, you have to wonder, too, if anybody was there to see that. You know, to see some whale or fish coming close into shore, And all of a sudden, out comes Jonah. (laughs) That would have been an interesting sight to see for sure. But after this occurs, we don't know if it was right then or was it a day or two later. What we do know is the Lord speaks to Jonah a second time. And he says, arise and go to Nineveh. And proclaim the proclamation which I will tell you. Now, again, look at this in view of everything that this man has done in his sin against the Lord. Rebellion is is exactly what he has committed. Exactly what he has done. He's looked at the Lord and said, no, I'm not doing what you said. I think that things ought to be this way. And so that's where I'm talking about with the arrogance of Jonah. Just to say to the Lord who is the all-knowing one. Who, who knows all things and does all things well. And he looks at him and says, I know better than you. It's a wonder that the Lord didn't say to Jonah while he was in the belly of the fish. Where were you? When I set the foundation of the world. That would have been a good context for Jonah uh, for the Lord to have said that. But nevertheless, the lesson that Jonah learned while he was in the belly of the fish was indeed of the grace of God that he himself needed on account of where he had found himself in view of everything that he had done. He knew he was deserving of being exactly where he was. And in that you had true repentance that came from the heart of Jonah And then, as the Lord had led him into this repentance, led him back into fellowship to give the Lord thanks. As he says in verse 9 of the, the previous chapter. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. And as we talked about last week, as Spurgeon had said, this Arminian fish... After Jonah had said, salvation is of the Lord, spat him out. He came to this understanding. Salvation is of the Lord. I'm going to sacrifice to you with thanksgiving. So Jonah is in a different place spiritually, what we we would say spiritually than he was before. Now, has he fully learned his lesson? No, no. Because still in chapter four, we're going to find him looking over the city, waiting for the Lord to destroy because he still thinks uh, that they deserve it. But. He is repentant. He in, in the things that he said, he was longing once again for that restoration, that fellowship with the Lord. And so when the Lord says to him a second time, arise and go to Nineveh, there's no argument he gets up and he goes directly where the Lord has called him to go. But <clears throat> this is the amazing thing of, of what we're reading. You know, this isn't something that we just want to gloss over. This is the Lord giving this man that had blatantly rebelled against him, sinned against him, basically said, you don't know what you're doing. I know better. And the Lord says, you're going to go back and fulfill the calling by which I have called you. You're going to fulfill your responsibilities in my name. Now, this is so important to recognize this because how often have we thought to ourselves because of what we have done in the past or what we have done even recently? We think to ourselves, oh, Lord, you can't use me. Look at what I have done. Look at what I've said or whatever. And we say to the Lord, I'm done. I'm useless. And often we think that way. We think because of a of of a of a sin that we have committed or something that we've done in our past. That we are now disqualified from any ministry unto the Lord. And the example of Jonah says to us, no, that is not true. Now, I don't want to get any misconceptions here. Are there times in which we can shipwreck our faith? Absolutely. Are there times that we can truly disqualify ourselves, perhaps with the specific office that we have among the body of Christ? Absolutely we can. But does that mean, when we sin, that our time of ministry is done? And the answer to that is no, it is not. Think, Just think back for a minute. That even in view of everything you have done. Or even in view of things that the Lord knew you were going to do. He still called you. He still saved you. He still gifted you to do the very things that he has called upon your life. In view of knowing what would take place. Is it a surprise to the Lord when... When we say something we shouldn't, or we act in a way that we shouldn't, or whatever the, whatever the sin entails, is any of that a surprise unto the Lord? And the answer is no. He has saved us in spite of ourselves. He uses us in spite of ourselves. That's why when it comes to time of judgment in which we receive our rewards, that's why, that's why you find in the book of Revelation that you have the elders casting their crowns back at the feet of Christ. Because any good that came about was, was because of him. Using us as instruments in his hand. We're not, we're not done. We're, we're not put, put, putting ourselves back on a shelf. Because the Lord knows our frame. He knows that we are but dust. As the scripture tells us. And in, even in view... Of what he knew we would do, he still called us and saved us and justified us in Christ. And still calls us for every single believer to be ambassadors for Christ. Spread the gospel, to declare the gospel, to teach, to teach others, to help guide others. Of course, all this is contingent upon us coming back with a repentant heart. But you're not done. But we we put certain standards on ourselves and certain standards on others through which the scripture does not tell us to do. And we can make people feel like you're done. You can, there, you, there's nothing else you can do because of what you did or what you said. When, when, what we should be doing is understanding that that not not to give us an excuse at all, whatsoever, because we are morally responsible for everything that we do and everything that we say. And yet, but we have to understand this, but. And even in view of that, that the grace of God is still extended to us. And so we must extend it to each other. And help restore each other. Now, it may look a little different depending on what kind of an office that we held or whatever. But we can still be restored to a, a position of of being able to minister to others. This is, this is something that is just... Unlike what we would do. After all of this. The Lord says to Jonah. A second time. As if he had to tell him one more time. He could have told Jonah. "All right, Since you did that. And you acted that way. Okay. I'll pull up somebody else. And they'll go do what I need them to do. But he restores Jonah back. And he says. Go do it. I've called you to this. I've called you to be a prophet. You try to forfeit it. It's not yours to forfeit. I have appointed you to this. So fulfill what I've done in your life. Fulfill what I have called you to do in your life. So there's a restoration that takes place in the life of Jonah. Back to his, the ministry that the Lord had called him to. You have to understand that we we are going to fail. It will happen. Because corruption still resides within us. We can't get rid of it. It's not going anywhere. And we have to contend with it. And we're going we're gonna to do the very things that the Apostle Paul says. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. The things I do want to do, I, I don't. Because it's still the corruption that is within us. You, you're going to have those times in which you're, you're going to be battling greatly with yourself. And you're going to fail. And that, that is a reality. Of the Christian life. Because there's not. And there's not an instance. In this life. In which we will be fully sanctified. In the sense that we will not sin anymore. That will not happen. Until the Lord calls us home. This is our time of battle. This is our time. This is why theologians call the church. That is still on earth. They they, they call it the church militant. And then the church in heaven. Is the church triumphant. Because we are battling. And often we battle with ourselves. Sometimes we win the battle. Sometimes we don't. But we keep pressing forward. We keep moving forward. But often it comes down to this. Recognizing the gracious nature of God. Recognizing the fellowship that we have with him. And the grace and the mercy and all that we have. Received in the love of God that we have received, oftentimes we have to keep this in our minds that if God has forgiven me in Christ, I must forgive myself and move forward. That's why the Apostle Paul says, Forgetting what lies behind, I press forward toward the high mark of the calling in Christ. Leave it behind and move forward. You know, one thing that I always thought was interesting, which John MacArthur doesn't seem to have a whole lot of emotion anyway. <laughs> but he often said, he was asked the question, um, what do you do when you when you preach a bad sermon or whatever? Because often if you know that you preached a bad sermon, uh, you know, it, it tends to bother you. And you're like, man, I just want to crawl under the pew and then I got to go stand before them again on the Wednesday or the next Sunday or whatever. And, and and they asked MacArthur, "Well, what do you do?" And he's like, "I don't worry about it. I got to worry about the next sermon." It's like you just don't have any emotion, apparently. But but the principle is right. <laughs> leave it behind and move forward. And that's what you got to do. You have to leave it behind and move forward, recognizing that this is a battle in which we will continue to endure. Throughout the course of our entire lives. That's why Paul says in Philippians, Not that I've arrived. He hasn't arrived, and none will ever arrive in this life. It doesn't give us an excuse in order to purposely give in to temptation. Not at all. It doesn't give us an excuse to to look unto the Lord and say, "Well, Lord, you determine all things, and so my failure is part of your fault because it's it's it happens, so it must be in accordance with your will." Kind of like Adam, "The woman you gave me, this is your fault." We're just like that. No. We don't have an excuse. When we sin against the Lord. None. It is by. What is what is in us. That we do the very things that we do. The corruption that resides there. It's not that we're two people. I don't want you to think that either. It's not that we have two different natures. I don't want you to think that either. You have one nature when you are born. And then when you are born again. You have a new one. The corruption. The corruption of the previous one still lingers and we have to contend with it, but we're not two people battling it out in ourselves. We are now one new creation in Christ who has to contend with the remnants of the previous one. And so we battle and we keep battling and we keep moving forward. And we keep trusting in Christ to help us to overcome because we can only do it in his power. Anything that occurs within the sanctification of God's people is specifically because God is working in us to accomplish it. It cannot be accomplished through any other means. No matter how hard we try in and of ourselves, we can't make ourselves do anything. It has to be that God is working in us and and to, to help us to overcome and to help us to move forward and to help us to have even more resolve When it comes to overcoming sin. And so we are wholly dependent upon the Lord in our sanctification, just as we were in our justification. And so, what God works within us, we we work out and we keep trying to press forward and trying to, to lay hold of that which laid hold of us. We, we try to give all of our energy in Christ in, in view of dependence upon him to do whatever he has called us to do. And the very thing that he has called all of us to do is to grow in sanctification because this is the blessing that every believer receives. It is a guarantee to each one of us. And so these are the things we seek out because this is what God is doing in us. So we're wholly dependent upon him to accomplish it. But you have to understand, too, that the corruption still remains and you will have to battle and you will fail and you will sin. But you keep moving forward and you recognize that God is a God of second chances and infinity chances because our sins have been forgiven us in Christ. And so if all of our sins have been forgiven us in Christ, then the very things that we're doing that he died for, it isn't a case of, well, take it back. It's a case of restoration. And sometimes the Lord puts things in our, in our paths like he did Jonah in order to bring about that repentance in us, to produce it in us, in order to keep moving forward. This is, this is, this is the reality of the Christian life. But... The grace and the mercy and the love of God never leaves his people. It is always there. Some words that we often hear that we maybe take for granted is is those words from Hebrews. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Well, have we really considered the, the ramifications of that. What does that mean? That means that in the time in which we sin so greatly. His love is not diminished. One degree. At all. It is not a matter of if I do good. And I keep doing good. That the, love, the Lord will love me more. No. He loves you to the fullest. Right now. That will never diminish. It will never grow. Because he loves you with, with the love of God. Which cannot be increased have it to the fullest and so when you fail and you sin and sometimes even genuine believers can find themselves in a terrible sin that there still is nothing that can separate you from the love of God and often the Lord puts things in our path to hinder us from going even further in order to show his love I will let you go this far and no further and he will produce whatever it has to be in order to produce that that repentance back in us to restore us but this is, our, this is our battle. That's why I'm so grateful for men like Jonah. I'm so grateful for men like Peter. Because you think of Peter. He denies Christ three times in one night. You know, you think of what the Lord had said to Peter. When Peter says to the Lord... You know, I'm willing to die for you. And the Lord looks at Peter and says. Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. So that your faith will not fail. Now you think of that whole thing. Satan desiring to sift Peter like wheat. That happened. Because what Jesus is talking about. It is exactly what happened to Peter. So Yes. Satan was allowed to have that time in order to tempt Peter to do the very things that he did. In order to be tempted to deny Christ, he did it. And yet you have those words from Jesus. But I have prayed for you. And your faith will not fail. So when you are restored, you, Peter, who denied me three times, strengthen your brethren. Even in view of Peter... There's still that restoration back into fellowship and back to ministry. That's why passages like this and circumstances that we read of in scripture like this should be a great encouragement to us because we do beat ourselves up real bad. And there is, there is a level in which we should, we should feel guilty. And we should be convicted, but not conviction to the sense that we are overwhelmed by it. That it discourages us, but so that it will promote in us a greater desire to walk worthy. There was one theologian, he said that tribulations and and trials are not meant to, to overwhelm us, to cause us to fall, but to cause us to soar. And often through our times of, of sin and our times of battling and our times of failing, it produces a greater resolve in us by the Spirit of God. You think of the life of Jonah here. He has changed, at least to some degree. and He will change even more as we get into chapter 4. But <clears throat> you have um, this theologian who said this. And I wanted to be sure to write it down to share it with you when it comes to restoring Jonah back. He says, every Christian who has turned to the Lord for forgiveness from sin also finds the great purpose and meaning of his life that had been lost in paths of sin. That's true of all of us, isn't it? There are more examples besides just Jonah and Peter. You think of Moses. The leader of Israel. Who doesn't regard the Lord as holy. And not permitted to go into the promised land. Because of what he did. And yet the love of God wasn't diminished at all. When it comes to Moses and what he did. There are many examples. Many examples of mighty... Ones in scripture that God used, which should give us uh, some comfort to our hearts, seeing how the Lord used them so greatly, even in view of what they had done. Now, look at this here as well. Not only does he restore Jonah back to ministry, but he restores him back to a very fruitful ministry. So Jonah arises, he goes to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord, as we read there. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk, right? Three days to walk through the entire city. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And so perhaps he literally, as it's giving to us, he walked one day's walk into the city before he said anything. Could have been that. So here's what he says. He cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, the, the book of Jonah only gives us that information of what he said. In Hebrew, this is only five words in Hebrew. Now, this could be a summary of the main message of Jonah. Because considering the response that come... The people would have to know to whom they are repenting too, So there is other information that would probably be there. But this is the summary of what he said. Yet in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And look what happens. As a result of this man who is now restored back to ministry. Fulfilling the calling of the Lord. And speaking the very things that the Lord has told him to speak. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. An entire city. You think of how massive this city is. Three days walk. This is the bulk of what Jonah said. It's all judgment. And yet the Lord used this message here In order to cause repentance within the hearts of pagans. So that they believed God. And they show genuine repentance. In the same way that that Jews would show genuine repentance and sorrow. They call for a fast and they put on sackcloth. From the greatest to the least of them. Even in his failures. God still used him mightily. The people believe just as the sailors have believed the pagan sailors beforehand, just as the pagan sailors had showed genuine repentance. So the people of Nineveh are showing genuine repentance. Let's say if he did use just these five words. One, it would kind of demonstrate to us that he he still has some harsh feelings towards the people of Nineveh. I'm only going to speak what is required of me. And yet, even speaking the the least of what he had to. Because it was the word of the Lord. Because it had come from Yahweh, his God. It achieved exactly what he intended. That is the power of God's word. Not power from your mouth. You don't cause any power. To go forth, it is the power of God's word that penetrates the heart and accomplishes in the person exactly what he intends to accomplish. That's why you have those those great passages, especially from the apostle Paul, of, of the word of God being being the gospel itself being the power of God unto salvation. How he says that the word of the cross is foolishness to them that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. As the writer of Hebrews says. That the word of God is quick and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce through even the the, the stoniest hearts. It can accomplish exactly what he intends. And no heart can, can hinder it to accomplish what God intends. And it's God who does this. You look at in Acts chapter 16 at the preaching of Paul. And the passage tells us that the Lord opened the heart of Lydia to receive the things that Paul was preaching. This is a supernatural work of God to apply his word to the heart. And the very thing that God is doing is he's using mere creatures in order to reach other creatures. Fallen creatures. Which is an amazing thought when you think about the the grandeur of God. He can do anything that he desires to do, and yet he uses mere fallen creatures in order to accomplish his will and to be used to bring others into the kingdom. This is a very fruitful ministry that Jonah's been restored back to. Perhaps just saying the minimum minimum of what he had to, regardless, what he said. Was the truth of God. And God used it. it. Caused the whole city to repent. A city of pagans. To believe God. And to show genuine repentance. And genuine sorrow. How can that be? You know oftentimes whenever we give the gospel. You know what we do? We automatically defeat ourselves before it ever gets out of our mouth. Well, I mean, it, it's good if you can believe it. You know, this is, this is what Christ did. You know, it's one thing to come across very arrogantly when you're sharing the gospel, but it should be something that you're affected by. So that when you're giving it to somebody else, there is that, that element of joy that element of hope that you have on your lips as you are declaring that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. That sense of urgency on your lips because you recognize the importance of what you're saying. Not because you're the one saying it. Because the truth that is coming out of your mouth that is in accordance with the word of God that he has said. And so we need to be saying it with confidence. And we need to be saying it with trust in the Lord. That he can use even the simplest gospel presentation. As long as it is absolutely true of what God says in his word. That God can accomplish great things in the heart of people. That are fallen. That are unregenerate. And he can. And he can use you. He can use you regardless of what has happened in your life. If you have come to the Lord with a broken and a contrite heart. He never despises that. And he can use you in order to bring others into the kingdom. Because that's what he's called you to do. Glorify God and to enjoy Him. How do you glorify Him while you're here? By enjoying Him while you're here. Yes, all of that's true. And by glorifying Him before others. And the very things that you say. You can be used mightily of God. And recognize this, that it's not dependent upon you to do anything in the heart of anybody else. That's why when we were talking Sunday about the the whole idea of, of using, trying to use sentimentalism. You can't make people feel terrible enough or feel so sorry for Christ that they want to believe in him. Because when you do that and you start talking about how Christ was so bruised and he was battered and he was beaten, unrecognizable and all this. You don't want people to call upon him because they feel bad for how he ended up being or how he was so mistreated having pity on him and that's why they want to do anything that's, that's that's not how we reach people we tell people if you want to tell people that the one who was battered and beaten and broken who gave himself over for you rose triumphantly as the risen glorified king who is able to save your soul that's what we tell them. we don't we don't try to use Emotions to try to tug at their heartstrings. Oh, but just think all that he went through for you. Just think of how many times he was beaten with that cat of nine tails. Think of how bloody he was. No, think of this. He was tortured by men, yes, but just think of what he did in the sense of taking your place on the cross that the Father poured out his wrath due to you on him. And he, through his suffering, satisfies God's justice against you that you believe in him, you can be forgiven. We tell him the truth confidently with a sense of urgency, recognizing that we're we're reformed. We know God is going to uh, call his elect that he chosen from the foundation of the world. That number is never going to increase. It's never going to decrease. But here's the thing. And we go back to this often. We don't know who the elect are. And so it must be that there's a sense of urgency on our part for every person in our life who is lost. Because eternity, you wait, it's waiting. So that that sense of urgency needs to be on our lips. We don't know who the Lord's going to call. We don't know who he's not going to call. But let us give the gospel to them. Because this is the instrument by which God uses to bring his people to faith. How can they hear. Without the the word of God being given to them. Without somebody giving it to them. That's why faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of Christ. I need to hear it. Because this is when the spirit of God applies to their heart. The very thing that he inspired and brings them. Into the light of Christ. So regardless of what you've done in your life. Regardless of the sin that you have committed. In the past or even the failures that we have experienced. Even recently. Because there's going to be many. Recognize that God's grace and mercy and love. Is still extended to you. Because you are still found in the Son. And you can still be used mightily by the Lord who has called you. Let us rejoice that there's people like Jonah in the scripture that we can be encouraged in our faith to recognize. He failed. God restored him and used him. I fail. God can restore me and use me. I pray that that would be uh, very helpful to us and, and produce a great hope. In us of what God can accomplish. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, thank you for this portion of your word. Uh, Thank you so much that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you that you save us in spite of ourselves, that you use us in spite of ourselves. But Father, help us uh, to overcome through your power, through your guidance. Help us, Lord, to to grow in sanctification, recognizing that it's you that causes growth in us. Help us to be more alive to the spirit of God and more dead to the corruption that still resides in us. Help us, Lord, to honor you with our lives as best as we are able to. And to remember that when we fail, it's not an excuse to remain in our sin. I pray, Father, for all of us that you would use it in order to cause godly conviction in us. Genuine repentance that produces a greater resolve to try to honor you as best as we can. Let us never take our eyes off of Christ who has accomplished salvation for us. He is is our hope and he is our peace. We, we desire to glorify him while we have opportunity. So we pray that you would help us to do so, Father, as we know that you're already at work in us, granting us that blessing of being sanctified in Christ. To be the praise, the glory, and the honor in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your attention. You are dismissed.